We're in the book of Jonah today. We're starting a brand new series. Um, so we are in the book of Jonah, one of the shorter books of the Old Testament. Um, you can make your way there now. If you have to use your table of contents to get there, that's all right. Um, I, I've been there many times. Um, so you can start turning there. We'll be in Jonah 1, verses 1 through 6 today. And we're going to go through this uh, sermon series over the next five weeks. We'll go through the entire story and the entire book of Jonah. Um, and as we do that, um, hopefully as a, as a church, it's something that helps us understand, uh, understand God's grace and the story that God is telling in a new way. Jonah is a really interesting book. Um, we'll get into that in just a moment, but before we kind of get into the meat of all that, um, I'd love for us to read our uh, sermon text today. So if you're able, I'd love to invite you to stand with us out of reverence for God's Word, um, and we will read through this today together. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a great ship, or ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? You sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. Fathers, we open your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see it and to understand it. You would give us hearts that receive it in faith. Lord, we recognize as we come before your word that your Thoughts are higher than ours, and your ways are higher than ours, and Lord, that your word remains forever. And so we pray today that we would know it, we would believe it, we would understand it, and we would obey it. And we would also find all the joy and beauty and treasures that there are in your word and in who you are. We ask this all as your people in the name of Christ. Amen. So this book, you might be wondering why we chose this book, why we chose to uh, go through this as a church, especially as a new church, right? As a church, again, that's only about three months old. Um, the main reason for us to do this, there's really three. The first is that we want to understand um, the good news about God's grace more, which is interesting because maybe as you look at this, it's, um, it's not a book where God is like word for word breaking down the technicalities of what the gospel is, right? There's other books of the Bible like Romans or Ephesians where it's like a textbook, Right? It's like telling you exactly how to think in really specific detail of all the logistics kind of, of the gospel and what Christ has done. Um, this book is different. This book teaches us about the gospel and about the grace of God, not in the context of a textbook, but in the context of a story. Right? So as we go through this, it's really interesting because Jonah is a prophet. This is a prophetic book, um, but there's only about two sentences of prophecy that actually get recorded from Jonah's mouth in this whole book. Right? This is really the story of Jonah. This is the story of Jonah the prophet, not the things that Jonah the prophet said. 
Um, because what's more important, apparently, to God is not exactly what he had Jonah say, but the story that he told through what happened with Jonah. And so that's where we're going to see the gospel, not necessarily um, spelled out in a textbook sort of way, but in told to us in a story. Also, we're going to understand God better and bigger as we go through this. The, the way that God reveals himself to us in the life of Jonah and the story of Jonah is bigger. Um, it's sometimes out of the, um, the neat little box that we put God into. And he challenges that over and over again in this story. And lastly, I think those two things working together are going to challenge us as a church plant to live in a more, um, sounds cheap to say it this way, but a more Christian way. Right? As we understand the grace of God more, as we understand how, how great God is, we are shaped together as a community of people, as a church, um, in the truest sense of that word, as a body, to live those things out and to bear fruit in keeping uh, with that. And so that's what I believe we're going to see. Um, we as a church, as a church plant, one of the things we desire to bring to this area, to this city, um, is what we would call gospel focus and clarity. Because we want the gospel to be um, more known here, and we want it to be focused on more. Um, but not only um, any old gospel, we want it to be clear. We want the, the actual word of God, the actual gospel to be clear, right? Because where we are, um, there's sometimes a lot of confusion about what the gospel actually is. And again, this book will help shape that in us. There's lots of different things that happen in this book. Um, you might be familiar with this story a little bit, um, and so whenever you think of it, you might think of it as the story of Jonah's disobedience and Jonah being stubborn and a guy who just runs away from God. Now that's partially true, but I don't want that to be the focus of us going through this as a church. The focus of this story is really about God putting his grace on display for us. All right, the message of Jonah, please don't walk away from the next five weeks and think the story of Jonah is that he was bad and he was disobedient and I will be good and God will love me. That is not the story of Jonah. That's not what we want to understand it as as we leave this. We want to see God again showing his grace. And this story has lots of ups and downs. Some of these weeks as we're going through it will be um, happier than others. They will be more challenging than others because that's the nature of a story, right? Stories have ups and they have downs. Today, though, the central thing that I want us to focus on um, is really this, that our God is always greater, He is always good, and He is always trustworthy so we can obey Him. He's always greater, He's always good, He's always trustworthy so we can obey him. That's really what we see, what I see as we look at this text. So as we read through this story, you might, might be helpful to know some of the background of what's going on. So Jonah is the author of this book. He's the one that uh, wrote all this down. He's also a prophet that lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. So quick uh, ancient history lesson is that in the Old Testament, there was a time that the nation of Israel was rebelling against God so much that God um, gave them as a punishment to split the kingdom in half. So there was a northern half of the country and a southern half of the country. And Jonah lived up in the northern half. Um, he was a prophet for many years, presumably always very faithful to this nation of Israel. Now, at this time, he's told to go to Nineveh, which is a capital city of a country of a nation called Assyria. 
Assyria is not just any old country, not just any old nation. Assyria is um, very much a growing empire. You can substitute any empire or you know, villainous uh, country from some kind of movie that you've watched into the place of Assyria. They are getting bigger. They are aggressive. They are taking over other people. They're taking over other lands. They do it in a brutal way. They are not um, great people in the city of Nineveh and the nation of Assyria. Um, they are uh, people that no one really likes because, again, they're pretty much taking over whoever they want to take over. Um, this is really interesting that this is actually the only case in the Old Testament that we have where God specifically sends out a prophet to go all the way to another nation, a Gentile nation, a nation that wasn't Israel, and preach to them. It's the only time that God chooses to do this, and it's a far journey. Nineveh is not exactly right next door to Israel. Now, Jonah gets this command from God, right? It's pretty clear. In verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't do that at all. God says, go to Nineveh because I'm going to do something about their evil. I'm going, I, it's time, I've decided that it's time to do something about their evil. And so Jonah doesn't do that. Again, Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Tar- Tarshish, you might not know these cities by name. Nobody would. Um, so, Tarshish is the opposite direction of where he's supposed to be going. It's like if I told you, come meet me in Maine, and you said, great, I'll be in California. I hate that idea. I won't be anywhere near you, right? So Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He's being pretty clear that he's not going to listen to God, right? He's not just sitting, he's not just staying where he is. He's not just hanging out there and like, maybe I'll get to obeying this, right? Sometimes your kids do that when you ask them to do something. They just kind of sit there as they weigh the decision if they're going to obey. Sometimes your kids just like, I heard what you said and I'm out of here, right? And that's what Jonah chooses to do. Now we might ask the question, why on earth would Jonah do that, right? It's not like the command from God was unclear. There's a few like really simple uh, ways to think about it. One is the idea that Jonah's just kind of lazy, right? He just doesn't want to make the trip, and so he just doesn't do it. Another one is maybe that Jonah has some kind of personal problem with the Ninevites, or he has some kind of uh, prejudice against them, or he just doesn't like them, so he's not going to make that trip. Now, I think um, you would have to excuse Jonah a little bit if that was his motivation, because again, this is not unlike in World War II, like being told, go to the Germans and preach to them. Go to Japan, that nation that's taken people over and doing all these things. Go and, and, you know, leave your country and go there. There wouldn't be a lot of warm feelings, right, in our hearts about doing that. Um, now, while both of those things might be true and at play a little bit, I think the truest motivation for Jonah, if we had to um, kind of figure out what it is, is that God... Um, Right, was blessing the nation of Israel. And for years and years and years and ages and ages, he's blessing the nation of Israel. And Jonah is trying to minister to this nation of Israel. And in the northern kingdom, they never really once turned back to God. And so Jonah's been doing that for years and years and years. And Jonah knows that God has prophesied many times about Israel, if you don't repent and trust in me, I'm going to take this blessing. I'm going to give it to the nations. And I think what's going on in Jonah's heart is that he does not want his nation to be cast off by God, right? We even see this. He hints at this later in the book. He says, I knew that if I went there, you would give them grace. And he knew that if God was going to give them grace, then that could mean that God, like Israel is no longer this chosen nation that they were. And Jonah, I think, out of a misplaced love for his own people, his own country, 
just doesn't want, can't bear to see that happen. It's interesting that God chose the worst nation to send Jonah to. Probably the worst nation on the face of the earth at that time. He didn't choose to send it to like an ally of Israel's or somebody who uh, plays nice with Israel and sort of worships the true God. He chose a nation that was perhaps the farthest from him you could choose on the whole planet. And he said, the only time I'm going to send a prophet out, I'm going to send it to the worst. That's where he's going to go. Now, is that a pure motivation from Jonah? Not exactly, right? It's still not excusable, still not the right decision from Jonah, um, but I think that's what's going on in his heart. And so we see that Jonah goes, he, get, he finds a boat going in the wrong direction, he hops in it, he hops aboard, and I think maybe for a time Jonah thought that his problems were a little bit solved, right? You can see him making himself comfortable in the boat, getting in, laying down, probably thinking, well, God probably will still send somebody, at least it won't be me, though right? At least I won't have to do it. He'll find somebody else to do it, or maybe he'll just get tired and think twice um, about doing this. Maybe he'll give me a different assignment. I'll go to Joppa, or I'll go to Tarshish. He'll tell me to do something there. So he's really comfortable there, but then we see in verse 4 that it was comfortable until God decided to hurl a great wind on the sea, because God is the one in charge of all things. And this is really interesting. I mean, the language is not that there just happened to be a storm on the sea, right? God said, I'm going to let you run away for this amount of time, and then I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a storm at you. I'm going to put you at risk. I'm gonna, I, I, God is putting the people on this boat at risk and in danger and through a lot of stress because of this. And we see all these professional sailors, right, in verse Four, all these guys are, verse five, all these guys are terrified. They're so terrified that they start calling out to their own God. It didn't matter uh, which ones they were, right? They just said, anybody who's here, you're afraid like we are. Just call out to whatever God you believe in, and hopefully that's enough for us to be safe. They get so desperate, in fact, that the captain of the ship walks down into the heart of the boat to wake up a passenger and to ask him to pray. You think about this, Jonah is the prophet who's sent out from God with a, with a message to a pagan nation, a nation that doesn't know about God at all, doesn't care about God at all. That, that's what I mean by pagan. So Jonah is sent to go and preach to them, but instead he gets in a boat and he has one of them preach to him, right? He has one of these guys who don't believe in the God of Israel, comes and wakes him up and says, what are you doing? You need to call on God. You need to call on the God that you turned against, that you ran away from, that you decided to rebel against. You need to call on that God, and he may have mercy on you. And you see Jonah here as a bit of a stand-in for the nation of Israel as a whole. The nation of Israel as a whole is just like Jonah in that they have all the promises of God, they have all the news of God, they have all the revelation of God, and they are asleep to that reality. They're not obeying any part of it. They're asleep in the boat, just like Jonah. And what God is doing in sending Jonah to a different nation is trying to provide a wake-up call to Israel. To say, look, like, you know what I mean? Like, when that blessing goes to somebody else, when they see that grace poured out us there, there's a certain a working of God where he's trying to wake Israel up to the fact that they have gone asleep. And our story ends today with Jonah um, in the boat receiving this pep talk or correction um, from the ship captain. But there's a few things I want us to go through as we try to apply what we see in this story. 
Again, I want us to focus on this truth that God is trustworthy, He's always good, and so we can obey Him. And the two ways that I want to think about it is the first heading would be refusing God, and the second thing would be trusting God. Refusing God and trusting God. And I know if you're like a heading person, you might be going like, well, we're already this far in. He's just throwing out headings. We're in trouble. Um, don't worry. It's not, we're not going to take another 45 minutes to get through here. But what I think is really interesting is this question of why Jonah refuses God. That's what he does, right? Jonah hears God clearly. He's given a, a direct command from God, and he just says, nope, not going to happen. Well, why does he do that? He does that because things are not going the way that he thinks that they should, right? God is not doing what Jonah thinks God ought to do. God is not behaving in a way that Jonah likes, and if we're honest, that's the same exact reason that each of us disobey God. The same exact reason that we disobey anything is because we just flat out disagree with it. We think it's not right. We think it's not good. We think God doesn't have the right to command that or to call that. He doesn't have control over this or that thing. That's why we do it. Because the true God, the real, true, and living God is not acting in a way that is easiest for us. That's the way that we want him to. Now, sometimes um, rejecting God's command, going away from God's command, it can look really extravagant and bold um, and plain, or it can be incredibly hidden and covert, all right? And so whenever we see this, we think, boy, this is crazy. Like Jonah gets in a boat and goes in the opposite direction. And when you and I disobey, when you and I reject God, we probably are not hopping on planes and flying into different countries, right? Not a lot of us disobey God in that way. For us, most of the time, um, refusing God's command, rejecting his conviction or his direction, I think it looks a whole lot more like finding something else to look at on Instagram or scrolling through a few more things to distract us, finding a little bit more entertainment until that feeling of conviction correction just kind of floats away. We don't have to really get on a boat and run away. We just find a few things until we are okay with uh, emotionally okay with disobeying. But what we definitely do is the same thing that Jonah does. We move ourselves away from the presence of the Lord, right? Two times in verse 3, it says from the presence of the Lord or away from the presence of the Lord. That's where Jonah is headed. Anywhere that's not here. Anywhere that is um, presumably away from where I will be reminded of what I've disobeyed. You see, that's what Jonah is doing. Anywhere that will not convict me, it won't challenge me on this decision I made, I'll just go somewhere else until that voice kind of goes away. And we do the, the same thing, right? We start to sort of exclude ourselves slowly, a little bit, more and more from gathering with the church because the songs that we're singing strike us a little bit unpleasantly or the preaching doesn't feel so good or the readings that we do, we don't actually uh, like them anymore because they're hitting us a little bit. They're actually pressuring us on sin. We might pull ourselves back from friendships that actually do challenge us and actually do call us to be holy and obedient to God. We do the same sorts of things, and it happens very slowly. Again, not normally all at once. At the end of the day, though, Jonah is okay with God, and he is faithful to God so long as God doesn't ask him to do this thing, right? 
As long as Jonah isn't asked to do this one thing, he's faithful. So as long as he isn't sent there with that message to those people, he's okay with it. Which really means at the end that Jonah is operating as his own God in this scenario. Because he's the one that's ultimately directing himself. He's the one who gets the final say. And just like that for you and me, if there are limits of what God is allowed to ask of us, if there are limits about what God is allowed to do in our lives, then you and I are acting like we are God. We are putting himself above him, ourselves above him, and we're saying, all right, God, you have all this, but this part's mine. You don't get to tell me how to live my life here or there. Now, the story of Jonah over and over again shows us that God is not okay with that. And it shows over and over again that God doesn't really fit on this nice little like index card definition of who God is. He is much bigger and greater than that. One thing that I think is interesting is that whenever Jonah disobeys, God doesn't just pick a different prophet, right? Jonah's probably not the only one um, there available. He could choose anybody who wants to, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't just pick somebody else. And it might seem harsh to us that God would then put Jonah into the storm. He'd put all these sailors that are innocent into the storm. The reason that God does that is because he is telling a story, not because he's limited in his choices. And he's actually doing this because this story has goodness picked out for Jonah in the end. Even with Jonah's disobedience happening, God has grace picked out for Jonah in the end. He's got to use Jonah. And he has to because he wants to use Jonah, because he wants to show Jonah his grace. Not like Jonah deserved that. Not like Jonah, you know, whenever Jonah gets on that ship and goes away, God would have every right to just cast him off. All right, I'll find somebody else. I'll give my grace to someone else. But no, God's grace is that good that it's not just for the city of Nineveh. It's not just for these um, sailors. It is grace for Jonah too. Because he has a message that he wants to get to the people of Nineveh. And these are people that have no regard for him. They have no care about God in the world. They're not sitting there in Nineveh seeking and hoping that somebody would come and explain the God of Israel to them. But God wants to give them this message anyway. Because he's God, because he's gracious, because he's good. Jonah is right that Nineveh doesn't deserve a prophet. Jonah is right that Nineveh doesn't deserve to hear about God's grace. Jonah is correct that Nineveh doesn't deserve another chance. But that doesn't matter to God. Because that's what God gives. Even as it says in Uh, the book of Isaiah, we see that God's plan has always been about not just the nation of Israel, but the world being reconciled to himself. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, Israel, shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah is saying there that Israel was always supposed to not just be the end of God's plan, but God showing his grace to Israel was meant to be a light for all the nations to come in. Even more, and Jesus says it in John chapter 10, I have sheep that are not of this fold, meaning not just in Israel, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
Even as Jesus says in the Great Commission, right? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the story that God is telling in this world, is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And yet again, in this instance, it can be frustrating because we see yet another time that the, the redemption, the reconciliation that God is doing gets derailed by more sin, right? He chooses Jonah. Jonah, go out there and tell the nations, bring them in. They can be reconciled to me. And it gets derailed by sin yet again. Yet another biblical hero that falls and can't quite obey well enough. But in the background of all this story, we can see greater truth. We can look beyond Jonah to Christ, something that we will see a lot in this story. We can see that Christ is the prophet who was chosen and sent to people that didn't deserve him, right? People that didn't deserve to hear about the good news of God. And instead of saying, no, Jesus is the prophet that says yes, I will go. I will speak the truth without sin getting in the way, without any imperfection getting in the way. As Jesus said in his own words in John chapter 5, he does only in all that he sees the Father doing. Instead of disobeying the Father, he obeys perfectly. And he did all of that for you. Jesus did all of that for you and on your behalf so that he could fulfill all the righteousness that was required so that you could be reconciled to God so that you wouldn't be enslaved to sin, so you wouldn't be caught in sin, that you wouldn't be trapped in death, but you would have the good news that one has come from God with good news. He has accomplished it. He has done it. And sin's curse can be broken. As Jesus said, he came and he fulfilled all righteousness. And listen, this is why we can trust God. The fact that Jesus came, that he went to the cross, that he was buried in the grave, and that he was risen again is why you and I can trust God. Because Jesus shows you, Jesus is the proof that the providence of God, the decisions of God, the the plan of God is in fact always good. Jesus is the proof of that. So if or when, probably not if, but when, When you doubt the plan of God, where he calls you to go, what he sends you to do, what he commands for you to follow in, when you doubt that, look to Christ on the cross and realize that it is always good. He has never spoken a lie. He has never spoken anything less than pure perfection, goodness, and holiness. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, I think this is one of the most powerful verses of Scripture. He, meaning God the Father, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is a, that's a choppy sentence, but what, we're saying, what, what God is saying there is when you look to the fact that we didn't deserve any forgiveness at all, When you look to the greatest need of human and eternal history of all time, the costliest need that could ever be um, costly to fill, and to the least deserving people, that God looked there in our sin and he sent Jesus. That is the most costly, the most valuable, the most painful thing God could ever do. And he did that for you, to buy you reconciliation with himself. And so if God would do that, In the greatest possible situation, 
How will, he, how will he ever fail in all the lesser things that we go through every day? How will he ever fail? He has proven to you that his love for you is beyond measure. It is beyond measure. For all those that trust in Christ, there is absolutely nothing but immeasurable love there. So you have proof that you can trust God. Always and forever. And not just that you can, but listen, that you should. Not just that you can trust God, but that you should. So when you're called into a valley, you can trust him. When you are called into the ship in the middle of the storm, you can trust him. But when you're called to leave what you know, you can still trust him. When you're called to leave what you're comfortable with, when, you can, when you're called to leave the life that you would like to live most, you can trust him. When you're called not to have the job that you want or the family that you want or the life that you want, you can trust him. When you're called to obey things that you don't want to obey, trust him and obey. And that's hard for us to accept because at the bottom of all these things, the painful truth for you and I is that God is not just the God of giving us what we want all the time. It's not what he is. It's not who he is. Instead, God is much bigger than us. And it's good for us, it's good for us to surrender ourselves to who God is instead of trying to, instead of actually like starving ourselves out by trying to be God. And so sometimes it's, it's tempting for us to make our own choice, but it's never for our own good. Those choices that we make to please ourselves, they're never actually for our own good. And sometimes we get comfortable in that, right? Jonah is comfortable in his disobedience. Sometimes a peaceful conscious conscience is not actually a good thing, right? We can settle into that disobedience. We might just be, you know, drunk from another temporary well that's good enough for a little bit. And this, this is why it's challenging, because at the end of the day, that, that question is whether we know best or God knows best for our lives. And that's just a question of pride, whether we're able to lay ourselves down and to say, I'm not actually God. I don't actually know everything. I don't actually have all things in my control. And so, God, what you say, I will trust. It's easy for us to look at Jonah and think, well, how on earth could he deny a command that's spoken right to his face? When in reality, we have all the commands of God, all the promises of God just written down in front of us, and we disobey them all the time. And at the end of the day, most of the time, it's just because we don't like what it says. But we need to understand that God's grace is found in all that he is, even in his commands of us, even when he calls us to things that we don't like. But whenever we read this, I, I want us to be careful to understand that surrendering to God, that's really where we're going here, surrendering to God is not just about the big things in life, okay? We might think, all right, I would, you know, if God called me to get on a ship and go here, I would do it. It's not just about all the big gestures of life, like moving to this or that country, becoming a missionary, planting a church, doing all these things. That's not really what surrendering to God is like. You can do all those things and not be surrendered one inch to God. Obedience and surrender to God is really and mainly about the really ordinary parts of our lives. Every single little thing that we do, the kind of job we have, how we interact with our kids, how we interact with our spouse, how we interact with our friends, the way we spend our free time, the way we spend the rest of our time. 
That's really where obedience and surrender shows up. But even as you and I will struggle constantly to surrender to God, we will struggle constantly because we will believe that we can come up with a better way to live and a better set of guides to follow. We will do that all the time, and we need to remember that as we struggle in that, God's mercy, again, is always more. His mercy is not going to run out on you. Again, he shows, he keeps on showing Jonah mercy over and over again in this story, even though Jonah keeps on running and running away from God. God doesn't look at his children with a report card to grade you. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ that Jesus already finished. There's no condemnation left for all those who are in Christ Jesus, right? No condemnation left. There's not an ounce of guilt or shame for all those who trust in Jesus. He really is that great. And he's a king that promises and brings life, right? What does Jesus say? That he brings life to the full. That's where we find the greatest, the fullest life is in Jesus. And so sometimes the life that Jesus has picked out and the commands of God look really Um, unpleasant and upside down and backwards. And when that happens, you need to remember the fact that this king assumed his throne by being born in a manger and suffering and dying on a cross and being buried in the grave and raised up. So yes, obedience and life, it doesn't look straightforward all the time. That's not how God works. He works in the midst of all those things. But at the end of the day, that is where life is found in Jesus Christ and in following him. And so today, if you don't know Christ, you never trusted in Jesus, you never recognized the fact that I am created by God, I am accountable to him, I have no way to get around it, he is the maker and I am the one who was made. And I have sinned against him just like everyone I've ever met in my whole life. And so I need reconciliation with God. I need to be forgiven by him. You can trust today in Jesus and be completely forgiven, not by working your way back to him, not by being really good and really religious and getting your life together. You can come to Christ immediately because his grace is always free. And if you have walked with Christ for a long, long time, you need to remember that his grace is always free. It's always free for you. And he knows what he is doing, and he loves you. He has set his sights of love upon you before the foundation of the earth. So he is a God that you can trust and obey. Let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful today that you are faithful even when we struggle to be. Um, We are thankful that your grace never runs out, it's never incomplete, and it's always enough for us. And we pray today that you would help us to understand your word, and you would help us to understand you and have hearts that joyfully submit to the King, the King of kings, the King of all things, with everything that we do. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.